Welcome to the Reinspiring You podcast, a ministry of revitalizing you that focuses on helping its listeners to relax the mind, restore the body, and renew the spirit. My name is Jared Williams, and I am glad that you decided to join us today. May this podcast be a place for you to hear teachings, interviews, and stories that encourage you to rethink, regroup, and recharge. Now, here's today's episode. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Reinspiring You podcast. Today, I want to share something with you that I happen to think of. I just had this random thought that kind of popped into my head that happens sometimes. And it's kind of interesting. I didn't really hadn't really thought of things this way before. So here we go. Let's dive right in. I got to thinking about how we have a, this huge market for organic things. Okay, you can. They have a whole grocery stores dedicated to organic stuff. So I did a little bit of research on this, and I found something very interesting. So I found this little article here, and online. And it's talking about organic food sales growth. The title of it actually is Organic Food Sales Growth Outpaces the Rest of the Grocery Industry, which is interesting. So here's what it it says. And I'm just going to kind of summarize some of these bullet points here. Between 2020 and 2021, organic food sales reached more than 57.5 billion, with a B, billion dollars. And then it goes on, it talks about what it means to be organic and has to meet certain federal standards and cannot be bioengineered and produced with antibiotics or hormones and things like that. Annual growth of organic food sales outpaced that of some conventional food categories such as produce and grains. So it's interesting that organic stuff, organic foods, has become very popular. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. It says that overall sales in the organic industry reached more than in the organic industry. So not just food, but overall organic everything reached more than $63 billion between 2020 and 2021. Organic food and beverage sector made up more than 90% of those sales. Survey found that organic food sales grew by 2% or $1.4 billion during this period. The organic non-food sector reached $6 billion in total sales. So why is it that organic sales are increasing? And one of the paragraphs says, Consumers have also become more concerned with environmental effects of food production processes. Chemical fertilizers and synthetic substances can be harmful to the environment and, in turn, to customers' health. As a result, many consumers are more willing to purchase environmentally sustainable and organic products. I think that's interesting. Consumers have become more concerned about environmental effects of food production processes, specifically that chemical fertilizers and synthetic substances can be harmful to the environment and, in turn, consumers' health. Remember that part. Keep that in mind. Did you know that in 2020, more than 94 million Americans purchased or used organic foods? Research predicts that the organic food market will grow at an annual rate of 8.7%, and at this rate, the market will be worth more than $95 billion by 2027. By comparison, the overall food industry is expected to grow by 3.8% annually through 2027. So it's a, it's a almost 5% difference between the organic food market and the overall food industry. 
Now, this article referenced other things besides just food. So we've seen how the growth of the food, organic food industry is increasing and it's outpacing that of regular groceries. But what about other organic things that are out there? And there's a lot of them. But specifically, I want to mention this one particular thing. I ran across another analysis as I was doing some research in here. And this is for specifically organic soap. There's a lot of organic soaps out there, uh, whether it's uh, personal like body soap or perhaps it is cleaning soap for your house or things like that. But the organic soap market in 2023 reached $0.72 billion. So it's almost a whole billion dollars in 2023. And the projected amount at this point is that by 2028, the organic soap market will be at just over $1 billion. And that's just soap. We've already talked about the food growing, and now you see here, soap is growing. You also have other businesses out there that not only do the organic natural soap and natural foods, but you also have other companies out there that specifically are targeting people who want to avoid the chemicals, whether it's because they have skin reactions or whatever. Maybe they don't just don't want chemicals in their, in their house. Chemicals that would normally you would use to take off stains or things like that. They've come up with specific organic things that don't have a lot of the harmful chemicals in it. And that's the soap category. And I find that very, very interesting. Here's all of these people then who have a very high interest in organic products. Now, my question, and this is the the thought that kind of pops into my head, with all of this attention to the organic idea, because if remember what I said about consumers being more concerned about the chemical fertilizers and, th and synthetic substances being harmful to them, they don't want that in their food, they don't want that in their soaps, they don't want that in their cleaning supplies. What happens if they have a headache? What happens if they have a cold? If you give them medicine that does not have harmful chemicals in it, they look at you and go, what? Why would I do that? How is it okay to keep chemicals out of your food, keep chemicals out of your soaps and cleaning supplies, but it's okay to put chemicals in your medicine? That doesn't make sense to me. And yet, that is the world we live in. The organic industry is increasing. It is projected to be 60-some billion dollars, but it's okay to have chemicals in our medicine. Why? I think a lot of it is because people don't know that there are other options out there. I started asking around and I asked some people what they would consider to be the top five most common medicines, like drugs that people would have in their home, in their office, in the desk drawer, in their purse, in their car, whatever. And I made a list of them. So here they are. These are actually a little bit more than the top five. I just kind of combined some of them. And I'm going to go through these reverse order of when they were first made. Okay, so here we go. The first one. I'm not even sure how to pronounce some of these actual chemical drugs. Loratadine, which is actually Claritin. It was first produced in 1980. And according to a list I found of the top 300 medicines, most prescriptions given out, Claritin was the 73rd most popular medicine prescribed. The next one, it's very similar to that, is Fluticasone. I'm not sure how you say it. 
That's just Flonase. Again, in 1980, it's actually more popular. It's the number 23, 23rd most popular prescribed drug in the United States with 24.5 million prescriptions in 2020. The next one, again, this is the same symptoms here for allergies and things like that, is Cetrazine, which is Zyrtec. It was first made in 1983. I guess that one actually should have been first. Anyway, it is the 52nd most popular prescription in the United States. But what about some of the other ones that we are probably most familiar with? Ibuprofen. It was first made in 1961. It's the 38th most common popular prescription in 2020. And then the, here's the next one. Dipfenhydramine. Dipfenhydramine. I think that's how you say it, maybe. I don't know. That's Benadryl. That was first made in 1946, and it is the 192nd most common or most prescribed in 2020, which is seems like it would be much higher on the list, almost down to 200, but that's where it falls, maybe because it's over-the-counter and you can kind of just get it anywhere. And trying to say some of these names of these chemical medicines. I sometimes think somebody just shook up a Scrabble board and said, here you go. That's whatever it is. Whatever drops out. I don't know. I'm sure there's a reason for how they're named, but I can't pronounce some of these. Anyway, the next one I do, I can pronounce. That is acetaminophen, which is just Tylenol. Now we're going way back, way back. This one was first made in 1878. So we are well over a hundred years past uh, when Tylenol was first made. And currently in 2020, it was the 118th most common prescription. Again, you'd probably think that would be higher, but if it's over the counter, maybe not as much. The next one, going all the way back to 1853, pre-Civil War here in the U.S. is aspirin. And it is currently, well, I guess as of 2020, the 36th most popular prescription in the United States. Now, Having gone through those being like some of the top ones that most people are familiar with, I can see why if somebody just has a headache or things like that. Well, aspirin's been around since 1853. Tylenol's been around since 1878. Of course, people just go for, grab those. They go for those because that's what they're most used to. That's what they're most comfortable with. That's what their parents used, their grandparents, their great-grandparents used because it's been around for a long, long time. Now, if you watch some of the old Western movies, maybe like a John Wayne movie or something like that, you might hear about quinine. Now, you don't hear much about quinine nowadays. It was it was designed to combat malaria, which you don't hear much about of uh, nowadays. But what is interesting is that a form of quinine made it into the news in 2020 as hydrochloroquine. I think that's how you say it. And that was supposed to that we were looking at that as a as a way to combat COVID-19. And that was made from quinine. But what where, what is quinine? When was that first made? 1820. Okay. Well, how about another one that you might hear about in some of those Old West ones that we actually still use today? It is the 140th most prescribed medicine in the United States, and that is morphine. Good old morphine. You sometimes see that maybe even in a in a Civil War movie or whatever like that when the soldiers are hurt. Morphine. You, they still use it today. It was first made all the way back in 1803. Morphine is over 200 years old and we're still using it. Now, one thing about the all of these drugs 
when you start going through there, reading the labels on them and things like that, it's all, it always gives you all of the side effects, all the potential problems that these chemicals could cause in your body. How is that okay, especially given that we are beginning to look at organic things as a positive thing, organic food, organic soaps, and, that, and the like. A lot of these drugs, they go all the way back, clear here, morphine, to 1803. Certainly, something as more recent as, as homeopathy is going to be gaining popularity because it's more recent and there's this trend for, towards organic stuff. Or is it a recent thing? Now, here's a little paragraph. It's actually, I borrowed this off of our website. It says, Dr. Hahnemann, who is the one who kind of sort of discovered the way to make homeopathic medicine, he had had enough evidence to release his findings to the scientific and medical community of the day. The concept of like cures like, noted since the time of Hippocrates, had finally been validated. The year was 1796. 1796. It predates... Morphine! Homeopathy has been around longer than some of our longest our medicines that we still use in hospitals today. Homeopathy has been around longer than that. Now, not every homeopathic medicine is goes back to that date. However, the principle of homeopathy goes back that far. And the principles of homeopathy do not include side effects. So to me, it just kind of stands to reason that homeopathy should be considered as being a viable alternative to the chemical side effect dependent medicine that we have, especially considering that organic foods and organic soaps is a very, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Why, why is homeopathy not increasing as well? And I think it is in a lot of circles, but it's still not as well known. You can go to a organic food grocery store and maybe find just a small little aisle that has a handful of some of the more common homeopathic remedies and medicines, but you'd think it'd be a little bit bigger. So anyway, I know that sounds maybe kind of a rambling thing and I apologize for that, but it was, like I said, it just kind of a random thought that I had. It kind of spurred me to do a little of research, a little bit of research, and I just thought I would share it with you. I found it interesting. Hopefully you did too. Let us know what you think. You can email us or, or touch base with us on the Revitalizing You Facebook page. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Reinspiring You podcast. We are glad you took the time to invest in your life today. As always, make sure you have subscribed so you don't miss any episodes. If you like what you've heard today, feel free to drop us a note at rypodcast at protonmail.com. You can also connect with us via the Revitalizing You Facebook page. Please note, homeopathy does not treat an illness. It addresses the entire person and is a matter of the body caring for itself. If you need treated or diagnosed, we here at Revitalizing You believe that the advice of a professional physician is in order. If you would like more information about an online homeopathic class or personal consultation, visit the Revitalizing You website at revitalizingyou.square.site or connect with us on Facebook. The Reinspiring You podcast is a ministry of Revitalizing You that focuses on helping its listeners to relax the mind, restore the body, and renew the spirit. Until next time, may you have reoccurring success and God bless.